our feature presentation. I like it spooky. Hey everybody, welcome to I Like Spooky Horror Podcast. I'm Brian. I'm Clint, and Jason's not here. Did someone finally invite him somewhere? Is that what happened? Maybe. I don't think so. Maybe he just went. That's what I would do. I'd just go. He just showed up and crashed the party? Yeah, like I'm just going to your house? Just crashed the fucking party. Check your jacuzzi. Yeah, well, regardless, Jason's not, not with us today. And that's breaking news. And speaking of breaking news, let's get into some horror news. So we got Clint. You got the news. You are the newsman. Uh, you know what? Um, I've got pages and pages and pages of notes about what we're going to talk about. This is going to be a little bit different. Jason's not with us today. We're not going to each cover our own news segment story because there's something pretty big going on. I'm sure a lot of people have heard about it, and that is the SAG after a strike. The uh, Screen Actors Guild, they are now on strike as well, and it has created a huge huge gray area every it's the ripple effects are everything from podcasts to conventions to streaming television shows to film productions um so i think we're just going to kind of chat about that a little bit and see if we can maybe familiarize some people with what's going on because again there, there's a lot they've had press conferences and they give you information but they're not really giving you anything they're saying well don't do this don't do this don't do but when they're asked directly it's like well you can and you possibly could because I mean we've talked for the last several days conventions how's it going to affect those that's been my biggest fear especially with inkmirrors.com I mean I'm already booked and hotels are already paid for let's do this I'm going to get to some facts because again there's a huge gray area there's a lot of ins and outs uh, there's some things I do know as, as uh, concrete facts which aren't going to help that much but first and foremost uh, this episode you're hearing right now was already recorded and set to be our interview with Sylvia Kaminer, the director from the new movie Follow Her, which is a fantastic film. And even though that episode was in the can before the strike happened, that's SAG-affiliated stuff. Uh, it was an indie production, but it's SAG-affiliated. So uh, we reached out to Sylvia and said, hey, this is new to us, you know, and I see that podcast appearances is one of the things on the no-no list. So should we hold off? She even replied that things are gray and it's kind of confusing right now. So we all agree that the best thing to do is hold off. So in the future, we, you will get to hear a fantastic interview about a fantastic movie with Sylvia Kaminer, the director of Follow Her. Uh, speaking of that, again, it's kind of weird for us because I don't want to cross any lines either. So I'm not sure if I should do this or not. But if you get a chance, everybody who's listening, check out Follow Her. It's streaming on Amazon Prime. Voodoo, uh, anywhere it's streaming. I think, uh, you know, three, four, five bucks to rent it or whatever. Great movie. Check it out. This is the first time. Uh, let me back up. So the, the WGA, the Writers Guild, they've been on strike now since May. We're talking, I think, 11 weeks plus now. The Screen Actors Guild, they just went on strike, let's see, three days prior to this recording. So it's been a whirlwind trying to get all this information around. I found out that this is the first time that the Screen Actors Guild has been on strike since 1980. And also the first time.
time since 1960 that both the WGA and SAG had been on strike at the same time. And then I also looked up, just so I could have some parameters, trying to get some bearings on this whole mess. In 1960, SAG was on strike for a month. The Writers Guild, the WGA, they continued to be on strike for, for I think it was seven months or eight months or eight months. So who knows if uh, history is going to repeat itself um, and it's going to be like 1960 and it's going to end shortly. I don't know. So much gray. You hope it ends soon so that there's a lot of grays gone. I mean, I was at Snake Alley Festival of Film and there was a couple movies that came by that had the SAG thing on the end of it. And there's directors there, but there was no actors. And there's usually actors there. There was some independent actors, but usually you get an actor or two that travel from California or New York. There was no actors there that I saw. I was wondering to hear from you. I sent you a message and said, hey, I wonder how this is going to trickle down affect that because again this is as of this recording this strike is so new and everything's super vague i do know um some more concrete facts or that the main things and there's others but the main things that uh sag is fighting for is ai in filmmaking i heard or no i didn't hear i'm sorry i read a story where Something about Selma Hayek's likeness was used, and then I'm going to screw the story up, so I'll just say it like this. The actors are concerned that the studios are going to go pay these people, say, like $200 to be able to scan their likeness and or their voice and then use it an unlimited amount of times. Um, so that's a big thing. And there was another actor. I can't remember his name. I should have wrote it down, but he started in some fight film in 2009. If you saw the picture, you'd know who I'm talking about. And he said, if the studios want to use AI for background actors so they don't have to pay these, you know, the extra cast and all that. He said, that's how I got my start in the business. He said, I was a background actor on some um, background actor on some film. He said in that I got to meet so-and-so who knew so-and-so. And And Brian, we talk about that on the show all the time through conventions, podcasting, all this crazy stuff we do. It's all through networking and meeting people. So if AI, if AI replaces these opportunities for these actors, are they ever going to be able to come, you know, A-listers? One, there's already an AI for producers or like the money. And I was listening to the radio one day and they were talking about it. There's a new program that runs all these templates and all these scans and says, this movie needs to come out at this time. This is how popular it's going to be. This is how much money it's going to make. And it takes a day instead of a group of 10 people sitting around trying to make that decision. It's a very slippery slope that these people are walking on because if an actor can be replaced, that producer, that director, it's going to go all the way up. There's not a person in Hollywood that can't be replaced. Maybe one guy at the very top and the people that run all those programs, but they have to be careful about that. They don't work jobs like you and I do where, hey, I can't take a box and put it on a truck. They can't do somebody's blood pressure. You know, they can't. It's very scary for them. It's funny you bring that up because shortly before the strike happened, uh, I think maybe we're, you're talking about the same article. And I read that, you know, AI is coming in. Oh, yeah, I, I re, uh, reported about it on Spill the Guts. And it was Warner Brothers is incorporating AI. But the article was from the angle that Warner Brothers was going to utilize, like you're saying, Brian, more for executive type 
uh, duties, like you say, to kind of, uh, you know, less man hours were going to be put into figuring out formulas of when a movie should be released and everything. And it, it, the, I remember the article kind of alluded that AI was going to stay out of the creative side. But then then SAG goes on strike and you find out that there's actually a big push for AI to really get in on the creative side. Just before we started recording right now, I saw an interview with, uh, I forget the guy's name, but uh, he was the voice of Olaf and he's been an actor in a bunch of great films. You know what I'm talking about. And he, he said, um, you know, another another uh, aspect of the strike is the guild, are, they're looking for a simple 2% from all these uh, revenue from all the streaming stuff. And he said, AI scares him also, he said, because if the actors knew back in 2008, 2009, what they know now about streaming and how it was going to change the business and, and almost leave them out. He said, who's to say that, you know, 20 years from now, 10 years from now, it won't be the same thing. But with AI, he's like, so we're just trying to really get our hands around this right now. I saw, I think it was ghoulish. Gary Poland was talking about AI and artwork. It's the whole gambit. I mean, it's artwork, it's music, it's movies. But he said, you can't. A computer program can't make flaws like you do with an artist. And sometimes those flaws are what make it amazing. I mean, we were talking the other day about The Lion King and how you know somebody set for hours, painstakingly drew every single still. And it's beautiful. It's artwork. And you become appreciative of it. And if it's a computer, you're just going to be like, okay, a computer did it. Who the hell cares? The other part of that is, is kind of back to the, the AI for more executive duties and, you know, going through and doing the math and, you know, kind of like Han Solo in uh, Star Wars, never, never tell me the odds. I have a feeling that a lot of like what we consider cult classics now would never come to light because you take a movie like uh, Street Trash or Toxic Avenger or um, what's the movie you're always talking, The Greasy Strangler, I still haven't seen. Yeah, I mean, those are just a few of many of um, kind of the, the fringe cinema that we like to watch. I almost guarantee those wouldn't exist. And those films, uh, as goofy as they are sometimes, I think they have a huge impact on cinema as a whole and a contribution to humanity. Well, and what's going to happen the first time AI says, oh, this is going to be the biggest movie of the year and they dump a billion dollars into it and it flops. You know, because in the end, you could show a movie to every executive in Hollywood and they all may hate it and it goes out and people love it. It's still a gut. It's still the gut is part of Hollywood. You know, that gut feeling like this needs to go out this day and people are going to love it. You know, and somebody's taking a chance and it hits and some stuff doesn't hit. You know, that's just part of Hollywood. The other part of that is when you think back, obviously we're, we weren't alive, but if you read through articles or just, I don't know, talk to your grandparents, you know, when Ford mainstreamed the car, you know, the automobile. A lot of people were freaking out. Anytime there's a new invention, there's more innovation like this. People do freak out and rightfully so. So like when cars were introduced, you had all the buggy drivers and, and wheel repairmen and this huge labor force that were like, well, fuck, I'm going to be out of a job now. And nine times out of 10, you find out, well, no, because those people are now needed as auto mechanics or, you know, you know, whatever the case may be. But here's the thing about AI. And I, I hate to, I know that I sound like I take a stance against it because I think it's like anything like the internet. It could be a useful tool or it could be a catastrophe. And I'm taking out all of the Skynet cons conspiracy <laughs> theories. Although, I mean, those are some valid points, some valid fears, but what it boils down to is who is inputting who is 
programming the AI because if AI controls entertainment, entertainment controls information, information controls everything. If you control the information, you control everything. And I know I may I may sound like I'm getting a little political here and I'm not trying to, but maybe whoever's programming AI as far as the entertainment industry, maybe they don't care for Street Trash and Toxic Avenger, or maybe they don't care for Frozen or I mean, whatever example you want to use. So if that's going to be the new system, then those movies might not ever come to light. It's really scary. You know, it's interesting you say that. I saw that Troma just hit its 50th anniversary, the longest independent film company in the United States. Those will always be around, I think. Indie cinema right now with all the strikes is huge. I mean, you can work independent films. I'm hoping that we get some amazing stuff while this is going on where people are like, well, I can't work as a SAG actor. I can't write because I'm on strike. So maybe that gives an opportunity for some other people that wouldn't get their projects seen to have their projects in front of people and be seen. It's possible. Yeah, 50 years for trauma. How how cool is that? You know what I mean? I, you know, the other the other side of this that worries me, though, and again, this is so weird because you can look at this from different angles as, as far as the strike and kind of getting into the conventions because that was our biggest concern. The, set, the, the rules of SAG, it flat out said no podcast appearances. It said no fan expos, no conventions. You can't talk about present or past work. And so everybody's freaking out, rightfully so. And they're like, well, how, you know, I'm an actor. I'm David Howard Thornton. I'm Art the Clown. Can I go and represent my portrayal as Art the Clown at Flashback in Chicago? Or am I going to be crossing the line of, you know, the rules of the strike? I'm a SAG act. Yeah, and he's the one actor I saw that said, this does not affect me. I will be at my conventions. I'm not affected by this. I've seen a couple posts from him, and I saw a post from Monster Mania, who said this doesn't affect anything. I saw a post from um, uh, Mike and Mia, who run Flashback, who said, don't worry, this doesn't affect anything. There was another con, I can't remember who kind of said the same thing. Jason shared with us a video that Sean Clark, who represents a lot of these celebrities and books them at these fan expos and you know horror conventions, he, he came out early on and released a video. It's probably on YouTube. And it was uh, his take on it. And he thought that everything's going to be okay, but maybe actors aren't going to be able to be part of panels and discuss the current project they're working on. But I also know that um, the San Diego Comic-Con, which, let's see, when this episode airs, the San Diego Comic-Con, Con just wrapped. So, but um, a lot of people were getting pulled from there. And the excuse for that was well, the San Diego Comic Con is a con kind of tied in with the big studios to launch their new programs. I saw that Nev Campbell backed out of Horror Hound, I think it was. Was it Horror Hound or Horror Hound Indianapolis? It didn't give an excuse. And typically when a, a celebrity doesn't show up, whether it's bullshit or not, it's none of our business, but they'll say, the you know, family emergency or they got called away to shoot uh, on another project. This just said she won't be there. We hope this doesn't worry anybody. Hope she's back in 2024. And so my take on that was she was like, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to ruffle any feathers. I'm out. That's probably my biggest concern is how many actors Actors, I think, go to these conventions to meet their fans and stuff, obviously, but I think they also go to network and potentially land other film projects. How many of these actors are going to be like, I don't really want to piss off anybody. I don't want to chance it. So I'm just going to skip and I'll go next year. Now, I know I'm doing a lot of devil's advocate stuff here. The other side of that is a lot of people say, well, actors aren't working. So they're more going to go to these conventions because that's going to be their only source of revenue. Only only time's going to tell a week after this episode airs um, is Motor City Nightmares in Detroit. 
headlined by Bruce Campbell, Sean Cunningham, Ted Ramey, and a whole list of, they got a really great lineup. And that's going to be, in my opinion, the test the waters to see what's going to happen because we can sit here and theorize all damn day. I can read you examples. I can quote whoever until we see it. We're just not going to know. Then we get flashback after that. And, you know, Jason was kind of like, well, flashback's not San Diego Comic-Con. Flashback is kind of one of the top, what, five conventions in the United States, I would say. I mean, Horror Hound's probably your big ones. Flashback's up there. I mean, it's in Chicago. It's going to be one of the bigger ones. I mean, they I guess there are big ones all over the country, but that's like the next big one after Motor City is Flashback, and it's been around for a long time. I've heard a lot of people refer to Flashback as, well, it, that's a, a relatively smaller con. In my opinion, Flashback is the biggest smaller con so like just a step below and then of course you got horror hound you got monster mania you got days of the dead even motor city nightmares isn't that's it's a relatively smaller show it's it's in league with flashback maybe even just a, a titch smaller as as far as the size of the venue now tommy who uh runs that recently branched out and earlier this year did uh rocky mountain nightmares kind of like a sister show out in colorado so i mean that's growing yeah it'll be interesting to see what happens i mean we have months until halloween and, you know, the nun and the, I mean, the Oppenheimer cast walked off the stage, off the red carpet. They walked off the stage? Yeah, the red carpet. They're like, nope, sorry. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff coming that this could affect. I mean, the Barbie's not horror, but they can't, none of those actors can do any promotion for that movie. And that puts us in a spot, too, because Brian, you and I have had some conversations, and it may be overthinking, but we're like, what can we talk about? What can we talk about? Because, again, I su- I'm, I'm union in my day job, so I, I support what they're doing 100%. I'm actually getting ready to go on strike at my day job, and it's a little scary. Uh, and then, it, of course, for me personally, it's kind of like shit hits the fan because, you know, I've got some money saved up to get me through some of it. But if it lingers on, I'm like, what am I going to do? I was looking forward to Motor City Nightmares and Flashback. I've done well at those conventions every time I've gone. I'm like, well, yeah, I'll do well there, and that'll carry me through my strike. A little. And then they go on strike. Oh, fuck, you know, but. Ripples. It's going to be felt all over, especially if you guys go on strike. It's a scary time. It is. And that's why we watch horror. That's why we watch these movies, because they're not nearly as scary as the regular stuff that's going on. You know, um, I, I wish I had the article to cite, but when I ran the haunted house for years, I would do research on what scares people and whatnot and stuff. And I remember I came across an article and I, it said that haunted houses and horror movies in particular do better in scary times because people are afraid. So they need a release and you can sit down and watch a horror film. You can go to a haunted house and have the shit scared out of you. But you know, in the back of your mind, even if you're scared and screaming and running or covering your eyes or whatever, that it's, it's no different than an amusement park. It's a roller coaster. At the end of it, you're going to be safe. So you get to release those endorphins and then feel better. And then it's kind of actually calming and relaxing. But bottom line, like, like you said, Brian, it's uh, it, it's scary. And I mean, there is never, change in anything unless there is some sort of monetary damage. The actors are never going to get what they want if people don't support the strike. The production companies potentially feel some sort of pinch, you know, flack from their shareholders because they're all publicly traded companies. Same thing with my company when it goes on strike. They're not going to budge or change to improve anything unless they're feeling some pain. That sounded all dramatic and serious, but what I'm trying to say is it all comes down to fucking money. You know, I don't have any I don't know if you have any. If you do, please loan me some because, again, I'm getting ready to go on strike. The movies are on strike. Everything's on strike. We need some money. Are you poor?
I'm definitely poor. I just got back from Snake Alley. That was just one day there. So I, I picked up a couple things. One thing was free. I picked up Ah Real Monsters on VHS. from Tiffany's grandma. She's like, you like scary stuff. So I've already shared this on the social medias. It's a little orange tape VHS. But I finally got this. And it's still in the box that it was shipped in because I'm going to open hey, it. Hey, you left it in the in the box box, the shipping box. I'm going to open it on like, you know, YouTube and TikTok. But it's the Arrow video. God, I can't even remember what the hell it's called. I was so pissed that I ordered it off Amazon. And then they canceled my order. So I had to order it from England. And I actually got it. Screams from the basement. That sound right? Yeah, and that's the one. That's the one you were saying that uh, people at Texas Frightmere recently at that convention had. Yeah, I'm like they don't have enough at Amazon to fill my order, but they sure had enough to give away at Texas Frightmare. <laughs> so I jumped online. I mean, secondary market. It was already going for two times what I would have paid for it. You know, I got it for like seventy bucks because Amazon had it on sale. It was going one twenty, one forty on Amazon, and maybe around there on eBay. So I jumped on Arrow's site in England and picked it up for about 70 bucks. You can almost always find like a coupon code or something. And they got a coupon for like $2 shipping or something like that. So I'll share that on the socials when I open it. And then I picked up Horror Hound, Speed of Horror Hound, the magazine. This month it's Pinhead on one side and Renfield on the other. Yeah, I really like that. That Pinhead artwork's great. The, the, the coloring on that, the red and the blue and the contrast is gorgeous. And then uh, my favorite horror magazine, Scream Magazine, Evil Dead, Omen, Death Ship, Renfield. Hell, I don't know. A hundred bloody pages. Nothing about demoniacs? No, 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 no. <laughs> God, no. Clark writes for Scream, so I thought maybe he'd sneak an article about demoniacs in there, maybe. He's not sneaking that past anybody. So if you go over to our YouTube channel, you can watch the trailer for demoniacs, and we clip it together where we talk part of the show and it's the trailer for the movie and clint's like i got it all queued up and ready to go and then it's full of nudity and i was like yeah i was just gonna share the link and put viewer discretion is advised because the trailer's like three minutes long but it's like two minutes and 45 seconds of nudity <laughs> yeah that's something that's something new we we started doing recently i think the first one was uh kingdom of the spiders maybe a few episodes back we did one before that just about halfway in between episode releases, we just try to give everybody, especially people who may not have heard the show before, uh, you know, the, the, the trailer of the movie we discuss is playing and there's no audio, but it's just us, a snippet from the, the show. And so, yeah, you, you put that together and I shared it on, on my Facebook page from YouTube and the thing popped up and I'm like, okay, whenever I see something like that, if it's not something I'm looking for, that's an extra step. So I'm like, fuck it. I don't even care. I don't even look at it. So I says, Brian, I says, can you, you know, send it to me directly so I can share it? And you sent it to me. Yeah. And I got it shared on Instagram, Facebook, over the place and then i whenever i share stuff like that i go watch it to make sure that everything's working and i'm like oh wow there's a whole lot it wasn't just like maybe <laughs> at first like she did it was kind of like some side boob for a minute and i'm like ah oh, that'll be okay but then like she's masturbating and like sitting the, the you see the rape scenes from demoniacs and i'm like i can't share this stuff i mean it sneaked past their uh their filter and it was allowed to allowed to be uploaded but i didn't want to piss anybody off so we took it down you can watch that kind of stuff on youtube but you have to be signed in and be proven that you're old enough 
enough to watch it. If I wasn't signed in our YouTube, I couldn't go watch that. It'd be age restricted. And it even said that at the end. It was like age restricted, 18 plus. I'm like, well, of course, you know, but like I said about the movie, if they took all the nudity out of the movie, it'd be like 25 minutes long. It'd be a short showing at Snake Alley. I tell you what, it's amazing what makes it through. I saw something on Facebook a while ago. It's the only time I've ever seen. I was just kind of scrolling through. I was having a smoke, taking a break, and it was porn. It was in the guise of a commercial for something. I don't remember what because I was just so taken aback. I mean, it was flat out hardcore porn on my Facebook feed. Nothing I clicked on, nothing I had to sign into with a certain age. And I was like, when do they start letting porn on, on Facebook? I haven't seen it since, so it probably got taken down. But so would have uh, the Demoniacs trailer facebook's pretty strict instagram's a little more lax and twitter you could just put any fucking thing you want on twitter they don't care <laughs> yeah they don't even care so what'd you get did you buy anything well let's see let me look at my little list here first of all the curse of the frankenstein the NECA frankenstein accessory pack continues i'm sure the audience is getting sick of hearing me talk about it every time i get a chance to get this thing something happens a couple weeks ago now we all sat down and recorded a video which i still have no have not had time to edit i'll get to it just something to throw out in the socials for some promotion and i moved you guys can't see this because we don't record um, video but i'm in my my inkmirrors.com workshop so I mean, there's nothing really appealing in the other room is all my collectibles. So I moved everything over there and right behind me was where I wanted to put front and center the accessory pack. So I found it on Amazon. I bought it. It showed up in the box. I opened the shipping box and the box itself had a big puncture in it and it was all torn and everything. So you gotta be fucking kidding me. Here we go again. So this is like strike seven of me trying to get that. I shipped it back. I do not have it. I tried to... Well, not tried to. Um, so we, we talked before about the Super 7 Return of the Living Dead action figures. They are now available. They're 20 bucks a piece. I thought it was going to be 20 for the set. Whatever, still 20 bucks a piece isn't bad. But again, sound like I'm playing my fiddle, but getting ready to go on strike of the day job potentially. So money's really super tight, kind of scary. So I actually had them in my cart and then I was like, you know what? No. So I was going to order those and I didn't. But speaking of Return of the Living Dead, Brian, did you just see that LB3D design, also known as Evil Entities? They just came out with the uh, Frank and Freddy action figures. Yeah, but I'm saving money to go to Flashback in Michigan. Oh, yeah. They're limited. Well, I'll see how much I have spend in Michigan. Maybe I'll buy one. They're super limited. Luther, who runs Evil Entities, LB3D Design there. Cool cat, great guy. We talked a lot earlier this year. We were both at a Creature Feature Weekend in Pennsylvania. Had a blast talking with that guy. He always puts out some quality stuff, but it's always limited. He's uh, a big enough company to where he can make some waves, but not big enough. You know, he's still got to worry about overhead and everything. So he keeps his keeps his runs pretty limited, but great stuff, great stuff. Other than that, my uh, Trick or Treat Studio figures from Halloween that I ordered showed up. So, I mean, I'd already paid for those, but they're finally here. I got the Sheriff Bracket and I got the uh, Annie to go with my Linda. You didn't get Donald. No, because you can get better renditions of, of Michael Myers, of Donald Pleasance, and of Jamie Lee Curtis's Lori through NECA and stuff. So I just got the ones I did because there's no action figures of those characters, period. Other than that, I just spent my money on materials for inkmirrors.com, restocking some toys, restocking some t-shirts, working on some side projects with some people and... I saw you had a bunch of cards ready to go to make some novelty toys. 85. Wow. I usually just kind of do 10 here, six there, and I just kind of constantly do it. Again, I'm working on uh, some side stuff. I wanted to stock up for two conventions back to back. 
Nightmare is a flashback. So that that was actually a little pricey, you know, 85 bubbles, 85 you know, um, cards, 85 pieces of artwork to put on the cards, all the stuff that goes inside of them. Um, and then I got some more blank t-shirts. So I, I spent a good four or 500 bucks in materials back to what we were just talking about. I really hope that people show up to these conventions and are willing to spend some money on some cool stuff. I think it's cool. Yeah. I think it's awesome stuff. You know, Speaking of conventions, this isn't necessarily a convention, but I heard through the grapevine that Screamers Costumes in Detroit, Michigan, actually it's off Gratiot Ave, just outside, just north of Detroit, they're having another event. Let's take it to a sponsor and hear from Screamers Costumes. Whenever you see a Screamers Costumes is at it again, and this one oozes with spooky street rod style. Come join Screamers Costumes at 35431 South Gratiot Ave in Clinton Township, Michigan for their second annual Haunted Hearse Car Show, Sunday, August 6th, starting at 10 a.m. For event details, dig into Screamers Costumes on Facebook, Instagram, and at ScreamersCostumes.com. So now that we've heard from our sponsor, it's time for the movie. So on this episode of the podcast, we're covering covering the Canadian horror cult classic. It, it's a legitimate cult classic from 2011, Grave Encounters. What do you think, Clint? Uh, I've had this movie on the list for a while. You know, we kind of have a list for listeners that don't know. We have a list of movies that we use as a, if there's nothing current or, you know, for us, oh, I don't know, what, what should we cover? Well, it's referred to the list, like Chris Jericho, the list. Jason's never seemed too interested in covering this. Uh, he's not a big fan of found footage movies. I don't argue with him there. I'm not the biggest fan of found footage either. There's some good ones, some bad ones. This happens to be a found footage film. I really think that he would enjoy it, though, because I know he likes supernatural films. And this is... A pretty scary found footage supernatural film. So first off, the reason that we did pick this from the list, like I said earlier in the episode, the slot here was set up for follow her. And although that's not necessarily not even it's not a supernatural flick. It's a modern film about wanting to be famous and doing anything and everything to get likes and follows and, you know, watches and attention and Grave Encounters from 2011 is sort of similar. Um, It's not so much social media driven but it is a comment on ghost hunting shows and of course they are trying to do anything they can to get the most watches and become the most popular ghost adventures or, or whatever uh, so I thought it was kind of fitting uh, a fitting replacement and I love this movie when you use the word spoof I almost think you go towards comedy more you know what I mean when they're like oh it was a spoof it's like oh so it was funny no no it wasn't funny but that it was um what's that ghost adventure that's on like TLC or that the main character kind of fancied himself or kind of acted like the guy that's the main character from that show. You know, would cuss a lot and yell and carry on to try to get the, the ghost to react. If you watch ghost hunting shows and television, which there, there are still some today and they're all usually fun to watch. They usually have kind of a, a running formula. But yeah, Zach, I can't pronounce his last name, Bat Baggins or whatever people, everybody knows who he is from Ghost Adventures. And yeah, come to find out that the main character on Grave Encounters was kind of modeled after him. In fact, 
that's one of the reasons I love this film too, is to a degree, it's kind of meta, you know, it relates to the ghost hunter television shows and, and almost makes fun of them. Like it's aware of itself, but at the same time, it's really like a fairly, like you say, it's not a comedy, it's not a spoof. It's more of a, a fairly accurate portrayal of that genre or subgenre or whatever. There is some parts you catch yourself wanting to laugh or you, maybe you did laugh. I laughed a couple times. The opening is the producer of the show saying, so they only got to the sixth episode because something happened. And this is footage that's been spliced together. It's not been doctored at all to fit this time. So they show up, you know, they give you some history of this psych- psychiatric hospital. Um, Massachusetts, was it? I don't remember where it was. Yeah, it was supposed to be in Massachusetts. Uh, in reality, it's in uh, British Columbia, Canada. Of course, it's kind of the same story you hear from every psychiatric hospital that's haunted. You know, they were overcrowded. They didn't have enough staff. The inmates were defecating on themselves, sleeping on the floor. A lot of them didn't have clothing. And there was a physician there that was a Harvard graduate that was doing these ungodly things to these poor people. Eventually, it got shut down. Now there's people going there to look for ghosts. Well, no, because it was sort of similar to sort of similar to the storyline in the remake of House on Haunted Hill. And that was the the doctor was performing a lot of experiments on people and he loved lobotomies. He performed like a this huge number of lobotomies. But but finally, the reason the place got shut down was some of the patients escaped their rooms and killed him. Yeah, six of them, I think they said. Yep, and they're on the sixth episode. They're going around, you know, they're meeting the people. And the, the part I laughed at was they meet one of the groundskeepers. I've only been here for like two weeks. It's a Spanish, you know, a Hispanic looking gentleman. And uh, he kind of has some broken English. And uh, He's the gardener. Stereotypical. He's the gardener. Have you seen anything? And he's like, no. And he's like, well, we got any petty cash left. And the lady's like, we got like 20 bucks. <laughs> And he says, how about 20 bucks? And the guy, stone-faced, I saw a ghost over there. It was really scary. (laughs) Yeah, like, just like, what? And they put it on camera. Like, you can't find anybody else. You could have put anybody else in front of the camera. No one knows who the gardener is there. Right. And then, of course, the the lead guy is like, he was like, uh, spectral apparitions outside the building. This is is a paranormal hotspot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the other people that they got, the guy that let him in, those, I don't know what he was, you know, the... He was like the caretaker. Yeah, mm-hmm. caretaker. And then there was another person that they interviewed. They all did okay. You know, they're like, oh, yeah, this window's open every night. The, there's these sounds. There's this, that, and the other. They did well, but that one guy was like, what the fuck? No, the, the gardener was hilarious. That, so that was one thing is I thought the actors did really well. I mean, this was an indie an indie flick. But those those two, like kind of the business manager or whoever who kind of like over, you know, overruns everything. And then the caretaker, they did a great job of looking very uncomfortable on camera. So you got the impression that they are, are used to being on camera. They don't do that. They're just normal folk like you and I. And Well, you're used to being on camera on YouTube and TikTok and all that. But none of them dance, though, while they're being interviewed. Dancing with your toys, dancing with the ghosts. But I remember the, excuse me, there was a scene with the caretaker where they're getting ready to interview him. And he says, he was like, I've never done this before. Should I look at the camera or look at you? Little (laughs) subtle things like that I love in films because it just set up that he is not a pro actor. He is a layman. There's not a lot of comedy in this movie, but like you say, the gardener was hilarious. The other, uh, Houston Gray, who is a member of 
the paranormal team, he was clown characterization of like they always bring in this special medium. He was great for comic relief. He, he was funny. He took himself too seriously. I think that's what kind of made him funny too. Plus, he looks just like my aunt, uh, which to me is pretty <laughs> fucking funny. That's serious. It's uncanny. Did you catch the name of the institution? No. It's called Collingwood. I was wondering if that was a nod to Dark Shadows. Maybe. Is that what it was? Yeah, in Dark Shadows, it was Collingwood. Yep. Barnabas Collins. But, you know, a a question I do have about that building is, um, so is this psychiatric hospital the one that you quote unquote air quotes worked at, Brian? No, because this one's in Canada. So I've never been to Canada. That I remember anyway. This isn't the one that you worked at. No, no, no. That was in... That was close to Chicago. All right. You know, it's interesting that almost every, maybe not almost every town, but almost every area in the United States has one of these. Like we have an old research hospital that was like a Mayo Clinic back during World War One and World War Two, and then became a psychiatric facility. Uh, you have the Eloise Asylum up there. There's a few around here. There's one in Ypsilanti also. Yep. But, you know, and then we had a, one in Peoria called Zellers that had criminally insane people in there. It's a great movie. That ties into almost everybody because everybody's heard the stories growing up or even now there's probably still kids hearing stories of, you know, you see that building over there? You know what they used to do to people in that building? It's haunted. I mean, it's 2011, but there's still, I'm sure to this day, stories of, oh, you see that building? You should watch this movie. And that's how it got to be a cult classic. I mean, what it cost 120000 to make was the budget. Yeah, yeah, and then uh, what it grossed, I think, just over four million worldwide. Five point four million gross. So I mean, they made a ton of money. The thing that like skyrocketed into prevalence was the trailer got thirty million views on YouTube. You imagine getting thirty. You put a movie out that has a budget of one hundred twenty thousand dollars, and you get thirty million views on YouTube for your trailer. I'd be popping champagne and putting my feet up. Yeah, I'd be like, here we go. Light the cigar. I'm finally going to take a fucking break. Well, and so something to think about, too, is I should have researched when found footage really blew up. But again, this came out in 2011, which I think off memory is about the time that found footage blew up. This film, um, it's it's got some bad stuff I'm going to talk about here in a minute. But all in all, it's a great film, especially for the time that it came out. And I think for it being an indie flick, it did really well. It exploded and, and helped explode that found footage subgenre. I don't know because I wasn't, you know, paying attention at the time. But, you know, people are always like, well, everybody thought Blair Witch was real. I was one of them. Yep, I admit that. I've admitted that before. I fell for it until like the first, I don't know, six minutes of the film, three minutes of the film. I'm like, wait a minute. okay, no, this isn't real. Until you get towards the end with some of the ghost stuff. This is more realistic than Blair Witch because the one guy's like, you know, you get to a point in the movie where they're not finding anything. There's no fucking ghosts here. We don't believe in ghosts. You know, they come out and kind of say that at one point, you know, they're all they just do it for the show. Right. They, they want to, but they're like, we've done this. This is our sixth investigation. We never fucking see anything. He was like, go get the floating hallway shots because they look creepy. We'll do some quick cuts. It'll look scary and people will like it. And then, uh. The girl's hair gets pulled, lifted. She freaks out. The guy that was like the expert freaks out. They all run downstairs. And then the main guy's like, okay, you're going to stay here. Me and is his name Houston? Houston Gray's the the guy that looks like my aunt. We're going to go upstairs. And Houston's like, I ain't fucking going up there. He like flipped real quick. He's like, no, fuck you guys. I'm not. He ends up going. But you know, it's funny. Like they're all like, we don't believe in this shit. We've done this enough. 
nothing's going to happen. And then when something happens outside of the main guy, everybody's like, fuck this. We want to get out of here. And he's kind of the guy that pushes him the whole movie. You know, there's that one person in all these movies. It's like, no, we got to record. We got to be on camera. We have to keep doing this. Well, because he knew the money. He he said that they they got the girl who sh- she freaked out. Like you say, her hair got lifted. They got her downstairs. He's running back upstairs with Houston to go to the hallway where it happened. He goes, this is it. He goes, we're going to be a millionaire. We're going to be millionaires or something like that. I don't know what the bad things you're going to say about the movie. I have a couple too, but uh, there was that time period where it just kind of, it dragged for a little bit. Something would happen. It would drag a little bit more. Something would happen. Like it wasn't too long in between, but you could have cut some of that out. You could have had a shorter movie, but I'm right. I'm right there with you. I want to get back to a couple things real quick. And that I was just going to say is uh, like you said, a few minutes ago when the caretaker was taking them through, I thought it did a, the film did a great job of setting up the story and showing you the hot spots. This is where the window opens. This is where the patient killed herself in the bathtub. You go into the one room where the patient had written all over the walls and in the middle real big, it said something about a demon. And I thought that's, that's detailed just right there. The set design, that must've taken forever to write. But yes, it did a great job of unfolding the story, not hitting you with the story at once. It unfolds as you explore for the first time with everybody, this asylum, and then also sets up what's going to happen later on. So I really liked how it did that. Again, not like Demoniacs. Sorry, Brian Clark. It didn't just in the beginning go, this is the the, the psychiatric ward. It's evil. This is a doctor. He's going to come back and kill you. You know, you got to explore and, and figure out a little bit for yourself before. So as the viewer, okay, so... It had, it had a slow opening. I thought it was interesting, but it was just kind of the pacing was just a little drag foot. And you as the viewer didn't know if the ghosts, if this was going to be like, quote unquote, real ghosts or if this was going to be like a, a, a mockumentary of ghost shows because it kind of had that tone. But you as the viewer, before the girl's hair gets lifted, you see that window open on its own that they talk about, which you got to look for the camera glitches. And then you see the camera guy. He sets the camera down. He finds a, a wheelchair in the hallway and he sets the camera down because his phone rings and he's talking to his daughter who's like daddy i'm scared there's monsters and he puts his back to the wheelchair he goes and it was right when he said don't worry baby monsters aren't real and you see the wheelchair move on its own a little bit so you as a viewer are like okay there are ghosts in this place then like you say her hair gets lifted and it's game on but not enough you're still not enough that you're like okay the wheelchair moved wind maybe i you you're still in that like gray area where like are they fucking with me are there going to be real ghosts you know what i mean like you've seen enough horror movies and enough ghost movies you're like this could go several different directions so they did a great job there too because if you don't believe in ghosts you're like oh it's just the wind yeah you could be very skeptical so they did a great job on that too they they did a really good job on a lot of things with this small of a budget hundred thousand dollars they did fantastic yeah it looks great too you're like oh this the camera works really good the lighting's good you know they did a lot of stuff that was really good i would imagine most of our viewers would enjoy this movie that was one of the things i didn't like because you know that i'm not a fan of the shaky cam stuff which it did have a lot of but it was supposed to so i'm not mad at it it just it detracted a little bit for me because i'm not a fan of that but again it, it was supposed to be there were ghost hunters with night vision cameras and you know walking around so you know tight corners and stuff but probably my only other really big hang up and you already alluded to this brian is 
After her hair gets lifted and it's game on, the paranormal activity increases as the things get worse and worse. It goes from hair to people getting thrown against the wall to things getting gurneys getting tossed to actual scene apparitions run at you with these creepy ass distorted demon faces. But the whole movie's got a fucking algorithm and it's like scary and it calms down. Scary and it calms down. Scary and it just goes on and on. So it's a little monotonous. But it's still still entertaining. The paranoia definitely grows as it goes on, but the, it's still yay, bad, yay. Uh. Yeah, that's one thing that I didn't like that they I thought they could have changed and been a better movie, like would have increased my rating probably several points. Dang, several. Ooh. If you didn't see the ghost. Like, you don't see a demon, you know, because at some points, like, they're like, oh, somebody's standing in the corner. And then they turn and their face turns. I don't want to see the face turn. I just want to see that that person's there and them leave scared. You know, I don't need, like, hands coming out of the ceiling. I don't need any of that. I'm almost like a, you ever seen Session 9? I love that movie. Yeah, I love that movie, too, but... I don't remember seeing anything. It's all like they're paranoid and stuff's happening because it makes it feel unrealistic to me. If I think there's a ghost there, I don't want it to be right in my face. I don't feel like there's 50 hands coming from the ceiling. I want it to be like, okay, they think they're seeing this and maybe they're being forced to see this. But, you know, as a viewer, am I like, is it really there? Are they going insane? I felt like that was one of the things that if it was more like Session 9, I would have liked it a lot more. See, it's funny because the filmmakers actually stated that they intentionally wanted to make a film. I don't think it was Session 9, but it was something similar to Session 9. They intentionally wanted to make the opposite, which is why they went. He said, I want you to have demons running at you. And this is where I think it's all based on interpretation because um, I agree with what you're saying. But one of the reasons I enjoyed this movie more was the opposite of you was because when her, that I say little girl, it was a short woman who was a patient. And you see her facing the corner, Blair Witch style. When she turns and her her face distorts her at you. I mean, I, I'm kind of getting goosebumps talking about it right now. The hands coming out, kind of some of the over-the-top stuff they did is one of the reasons I enjoyed it. I love Session 9 for what it is. And I love how that movie's more atmospheric and it's more, is this just a mental breakdown or is this a haunting and a possession or is it both? You kind of, it's more of a slow burn. It's more of an art film. I love that movie. But I love Grave Encounters for not being that. Just like I loved... The remake of House in Haunted Hill, when you saw Jeffrey Combs as the doctor glitching as the ghost and them running out, or 13 Ghosts, the remake, you know, you never know, are they in the room with you or not? And then they appear and bash you over the head. I love that stuff. So one of the cool things I think this movie did too was, you know, it started out kind of the, the wheelchair twitches or moves, you know, the tech guy goes missing, the lamp falls over and everything kind of, like I say, increases. When they got to the cooler after the lamp fell over, and they realize you know, they went to sleep because no one came to get them and they were tired. They open up their cooler and all the food is rotten. That was like kind of a mind fuck because you're like, oh, my God, they're, they've been trapped in here for how long? I thought that was a cool aspect. Yeah, because the one guy said, my my phone says it's eight o'clock in the morning or seven or something. They should have been here by now. But it's still dark outside. Yeah. This is something I would definitely rewatch. I would watch. I would recommend to people. I would, you know, Jack, my son, I'll have him watch it with me. 
it's a movie that I really enjoyed. I'm glad we watched it for the show. Brian, I know we talked about fear footage before. Um, I think you, I think you watch, we got a, you got a screener. We got a screener or something. I don't know. Anyway, I watched the first three and I don't know if you've watched the first three yet. It's a found footage film or found footage films. And they do kind of the same thing this movie did when the, when the ghost crew realized they finally decide they're going to break through their front door so they can go outside. And when they do, it just leads to another hallway. And they're like, wait a minute, this is the door to the outside. And they turn around and see that it says death awaits on the door which they saw that going in so they're like what the fuck so the asylum kind of keeps changing and morphing they, they allude to that so you can never get outside fear footage did the same thing but fear footage not to take away from grave encounters did a really good job if you go and watch those where if, if you're in this house and you try to go out the door the way they had the camera angled and, and pan the camera and the doors open and closed, it was it was a lot uh, a lot smoother. But yeah, so these people are these people are trapped in this asylum. They can't get out. Yeah, it's almost like a beckoning back to the Winchester House, California. Yeah, I saw that in the theater. The movie. Yeah, I haven't been in the house, but a lot of people think she was going mentally insane and just kept adding on to this house and room after room after room after room. And you would imagine you'd get lost and you'd never fucking find your way out. That was when they opened the door and they're like, "Oh my god, it says death awaits." That was another point where I laughed because I remember at the beginning they're like, "How fucking cheesy is this?" This is yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're like. Not cheesy anymore, is it? Now they're looking at it like, oh, fuck. We could talk about each thing, you know, everything that happens in the film. But basically, again, the the paranormal activity increases. People kind of get picked off one by one. They try to escape. They they can't find their way out. Eventually, it just gets down to one person. And what I thought was cool about that was they made it down to the tunnels. He's finally all by himself, pitch black. You can see because it's a, 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 a night vision camera, but he can't see. He's in pitch black, so he pulls out the ev- the tape recorder to do an EVP, and he says, what do you want with me? Why are you doing this? And then he plays it back, and he just hears that he is surrounded by crazy disembodied laughter and moaning and groaning. It just sounded like he was in a crowd. That scared the shit out of me. That was so eerie to know that he's in this wide open dark space by himself, but he's not. I was like, what? They don't give him very long to answer. Like, you want to piss a ghost off? Ask it a question, then then just like, click, and then play it back. Like, you didn't even give him time to answer. That's the thing, is he didn't need to. He was so surrounded with people. They were, they were talking over his question. At that point, you... You don't know how long they've been in there, but they kind of keep showing timelines and all these static cameras they have everywhere. And at that point of the movie, the timelines are just jumping and going crazy. You kind of get the impression that they've been in there for days, weeks, months, a, a long fucking time. And a rat comes by and he has this pole and he smacks the fuck out of the rat and just starts eating into it because he's starving. If you watch the credits, at the very end of the credits, it says no rats were actually eaten during the filming of this movie. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. You think they added that like after the fact, like after the movie got popular. They're like, eh, we better put this in there. Well, I don't think they had time because the sequel came out a year after this, Grave Encounters 2, which is which is another great flick. So they utilized the same... I'm not going to cover the whole sequel. I'm just going to nutshell it for you. They utilize the same location, which come to find out this, uh, the actual real physical location of this asylum was used in um, The Watchmen and The X-Files, which I thought was cool. You know, it's got some clout. So the sequel, again, the beginning is kind of slow. And that actually has even more to do with social media because this guy, he was like a... 
I can't remember if it was a YouTube thing or Instagram, if that was out yet, but he was trying to get followers and likes and stuff. And he would do all these crazy videos. He was a filmmaker and he was entranced with this story. He's like, I keep seeing this stuff about grave encounters. What is going on with these missing people? Is this real? Is it a hoax? They wind up going to investigate themselves, not being ghost hunters, just having equipment because they make movies and, and being interested and they kind of get stuck into the same thing once that happens in the sequel the activity that you said you weren't too fond of is actually punched up even more and the story evolves a little more where you find out i'm kind of ruining spoiler alert spoiler alert at the very end of the first grave encounters which is what we're covering here the guy that gets left over i can't i can't remember his name he winds up getting a lobotomy he bumps into the demon ghost of the doctor and he gets a lobotomy and then he's kind of you can see he's got blood coming from his eye and he's like he says i'm all better now i can go home this is whatever his name is signing out that's the end of the movie for grave encounters <laughs> yeah yeah for grave encounters i'm so and so so in the sequel you find out that he's actually still alive and he's been stuck in there for it's been like six years or something like that so for him for eternity and he's kind of mapped out how the building it has an algorithm of how it, it morphs and rotates and then he's trying to find an actual escape and then one of the coolest things about the end of the sequel i don't want to give too much away but the, the movie ends you watch the credits and then at the very end they give you some coordinates longitude latitude and i was like what the hell is that and i was like well, i was like that's longitude latitude so i looked it up it's the location of the asylum. And so then if you want to like suspend disbelief, you're like, okay, is this real? Is this the building trying to get people to show up and get trapped because it wants souls, you know? So they were going to make a part three. And I don't remember the whole story about that, but it never got made. It has not been made to this day, but they announced it, then it went away and then they teased it and then it went away. And then if we get a hundred likes or whatever, we're going to start filming and they never did. And it has this whole mystique to it, which adds to this whole film series. Great stuff. Yeah, I'll have to um, go and watch the second one. And the first one's only like an hour and hour and a half. I don't know how long the second one is, but. I mean, hell, that new Oppenheimer movie is like probably four hours long. You could just watch Grave Encounters 1 and 2. And I mean, you know how Oppenheimer ends. You you could watch these two movies. Have more fun. And with the writer's strike going on, you could write part three. Give it to the vicious. Give it to the vicious brothers who uh, made this film. Maybe they can make part three. Yeah, I, I enjoyed this one. I had fun with. It. I'm glad we watched it. Well, what do you think about a rating? How would you rate it? I had fun. I mean, I watched it Friday night. I was like, I'm gonna put it on. I'm gonna watch it quick. It's an hour and a half long. That's kind of right in my wheelhouse. I'm not usually a big paranormal fan. Ghosts just. It's one of those things that scare me. I'm always like, mm, you know, like. I don't like to mess with ghosts. They're fine. Stay over there. I'll stay over here. You know, I don't, I want to go in the insane asylum with my friends and no, all. I'm good. I'll, I'll wait out in the car. Like the doctor just wants to help. He wants to help make you better. Yeah, that's what the last several doctors said, Clint. <laughs> I gave it seven out of ten lobotomies. I enjoyed it. I could, I could probably even go eight. I mean, it was for $120,000. This is a great film. It's fun. Got a little comedy sprinkled in, maybe even if it's not supposed to be. Yeah, I just, I really enjoyed it. I can't wait to watch it with Jack. It's something that, yeah, the next time he comes, I'll be like, let's watch these two movies. And I'm sure we'll sit there and laugh about things and have a good time. And, you know, there's enough in there, too, that you could watch it probably five, six times. And you'd be like, did you see that? And you're going to notice something different every time. What about you? Well, you, you talk about watching it with Jack. This is one of Boots' favorite movies. I came across this on a whim one Saturday night and I started watching it. And I was like, this looks 
really good. And everybody was kind of off in their rooms and different parts of the house doing their own thing. And it was a Saturday night. None of us were doing anything. And so I said, hey, I was like, everybody want to come watch this? And they did. And everybody liked it. Everybody liked the movie. Even Hannah, who I can't get to watch movies with me that much anymore. She liked it a lot. So I, this is the fourth time I've watched it now. I did a rewatch, you know, to refresh for this. And the same thing, I was like, boots. I was like, we're covering Grave Encounters. And she perked up. And I was like, you want to watch it? She goes, of course I want to watch it. That's my favorite movie. I love that movie, you know. One thing I noticed, though, is, again, pros and cons. This being the fourth time that I watched it, I was actually a little bored this time. You know, some movies you can watch over and over and over and you you know, and you're like, Oh, is is the shark gonna get Quint? Is Rocky gonna get knocked out? You know it's gonna happen. You've seen the movie seven thousand times, you know. Is is the bomb gonna drop on the you need a medical supply? You know it is. <laughs> this time I was like I was just kinda bored after my fourth watch. Rather slow beginning. I didn't like the algorithm from the first watch. I didn't like it where it was one of those movies where it's quiet, literally like you you know, actually quiet where you got to turn the volume up or lean in, which I think is by design. So when the scares happen, it's loud and scares you even more. And of course, the shaky camp. So which I don't like, but fit in this movie. It really creeped me out the first time I watched it. And I went seven out of ten also. Seven out of ten rat specials. Ratatouille's. He bashes a rat and eats it. <laughs> is that what Ratatouille is? No. Well, no. <laughs> I don't have to watch that again. I haven't. I like that movie. I haven't seen it in a while. Uh, no, it's just a soup. Again, I, I love this movie. It's fun. It's scary. It's creepy. Um, again, I got a little bored after my fourth watch. Uh, I haven't seen the second one in a while, though, so I'm probably going to watch that now. And I hope the third one comes to light one of these days. A third one. They go back to those coordinates. Hell, we've already written the first part of the movie. Some guy from Michigan watches the first two and sees the credits on the end and puts in the coordinates and is like, I'm going to take a field trip. No, that crossed my mind as I'm doing this. I'm like, because the second one really sets up that it's almost like the ring where the tape is supposed to get kind of like pushed on to lure people in, you know, so it kind of had that vibe to it a little bit. Yeah. So when I saw those coordinates, I'm like, am I supposed to see this? Should I be looking this up? And I'm like, wow, maybe I'm the next victim. You know what I mean? It's funny. Um, there's another found footage movie we just talked about, uh, Fear Footage, and I was talking with the director about that. And if you watch those, it's kind of like if you're on the tape, then you're already dead. I'm not going to say anything else because I don't want you. So I'm talking with the director. We're talking back and forth about future projects. And I was like, I don't know. I'm starting to get creeped out. I hope I'm not on the fucking tape. And then when I watched the third one and he was just like, you never know what's next. You know, and I'm like, oh, no, I'm getting sucked in all this creepiness. But you're going to shit your pants if I watch the second one. I'm like, I didn't see no coordinates on the movie. I don't know. What the, what the fuck are you talking about? You're going to do that anyway. <laughs> Our friendship would be history. Speaking of history, how about we get into some horror history, history, history? A date which will live in infamy. So on this day in horror history, the weeks after this episode is released, it'll be July 23rd through August 5th. So on July 25th, got several movies came out, Haunted Honeymoon and Maximum Overdrive in 1986. Which movie do you think had more cocaine on set? Any guesses? <laughs> I'm going to go with Haunted Honeymoon. Just kidding. It was Maximum Overdrive all the way. You think? And then in a 2003 Beyond Reanimator. I've not seen that one. I've seen the other ones, but you seen that one, Clint? 
watch Beyond Reanimator. It is an absolute fucking gore fest. Brian Yoon's, I think, directed that. Great film. I think you'll enjoy it, especially if you like gore and splatter. And that takes a place inside of a prison, which isn't quite a psych ward, but it's got the same feel. You know, great stuff. And then uh, 1943, Erwin Yablons, who was executive producer for the first three Halloween films. Jason's not here. You don't have to tell. You don't have to talk about Halloween. Jason's not here today. Well, I was going to say he made the best Halloween, the third one. And then he's like, I've done I've done what I need to do. I've made the best of this series. I'm I'm out. Right. Like he's like, yeah, I'm good. And then in uh, July 27th, several movies again. Mighty Joe Young, 1949. Why the fuck are you talking about Mighty Joe Young? This is a horror show. So I was like, okay, maybe Mighty Joe Young isn't a horror show, a horror movie. What, what is scary about Tom Hanks? That's like Tom Hanks in a volcano no, or something, right? It's, it's like 1949, so it's black and white. I think it's pre-King Kong. Is that before King Kong? So the premise of Mighty Joe Young is like these people live in Africa or somewhere. They raise this huge gorilla. Then they bring him to America and he escapes. And it's more of a precursor to like the kaiju stuff like Godzilla, King Kong and that kind of stuff that makes it horror. I mean, it's it's not the Disney one that they remade. I think was it Tom Hanks, Joe versus the volcano? There is a Mighty Joe Young, but that's a Charlize Theron. That's definitely not. Well, never mind. Uh, yeah. King, King <laughs> Kong. King Kong came out in 1933. Oh, shit. So this is after. Hell, I don't know. And then uh, in 1979, July 27, 1979, the Amityville Horror. That's some fucking horror history because now it's got its own award on the Fangoria Chainsaw Awards. Toilet, Amityville Door Knocker, Amityville Plunger, Amityville Cocaine, Cocaine Amityville. I wonder what that one's like. Hey, speaking of history, you want to hear a story? What's that? When I was a kid, probably sometime between 9 and 12, it was this hot summer night. I was in the house by myself with all the lights off watching the original Amityville. You've seen the movie, right? I don't know that I've seen the original. You haven't seen the original? The one with the clock and the one with the toilet and yeah i mean well you might not get the you you might not appreciate this as much if anybody listening i'm sure someone listening has seen that you'll get this my mom and dad were a couple doors down at the neighbor's house who they were friends with and out there was hanging out shooting the shit doing whatever you know and i'm at home watching this movie and i was just engrossed in this movie and there's a scene about three quarters of the way in where this the little girl one of the the kids is in her room the mom walks in the little girl's talking to one of the ghosts that of course no one can see the mom walks in and sees that the window is open the tv that i'm watching in in my living room is right by the the window dark out summer we didn't have ac i was poor and we're talking in the 80s window was open the camera pans into or pushes into the the window the dark window screen as the mom goes over to close it and as she does out of nowhere these flashing red eyes move back and forth and the music like and right (laughs) at that exact fucking second my mom and dad were coming home and dad was watching me from the window and banged on the window and yelled and screamed and oh man I about shit my fucking pants I will never forget that of course he's laughing you know I had about a heart attack but I would imagine they were probably down at the neighbors playing cards I feel like that's what people did back then they i'm i'm from michigan we we play euchre here so you know chuck ryan our buddy chuck ryan he's from wisconsin they they might play euchre there i don't think they play euchre where you're at though you guys are like what the fuck is what the fuck is euchre yeah they play a god what is it even called gin rummy maybe hell i don't know hell i don't know what they play they have to tell me every time this is what we're playing this is how you play it we play we play skippo penny a point penny a point no wonder i'd be poor that's that's poor people skippo yeah 
Yeah, exactly. And then uh, in 1998, Halloween H2O. I don't know why I'm covering these. Jason's not here. He's not going to listen. And he don't even know who Michael Myers was in those movies. So, yeah, it doesn't matter. (laughs) August 1st in 1954, Rear Window. 1968, Destroy All Monsters. And then uh, Omega Man, that one's come up a couple times, you know, in some past episodes. And it Back when we covered uh, Last Man on Earth, that was kind of like a, a retelling of that. That was 1971. And then in 1986, Friday the 13th, Part 6, which is a lot of people's favorites. It's not mine. It's great. But it's not my favorite. I know what yours is. Yours wouldn't exist if if AI ruled the studios. Oh, no. Let's full circle this conversation. Part five would not exist. No, no. They'd be like, "Uh uh-uh. No. You know, I think part six, though, back me up on this. Part six, the reason it exists as it does is because they were initially, the studios were initially going to make part six as kind of a continuation. Remember at the end of part five where Tommy Jarvis, you kind of get the, he snaps, you think, so you think he's going to be the new Jason. And everybody hated it. The majority of people besides Brian and a handful of others hated that movie. So they're like, okay, scratch, scrap that idea. We're going to do something different. And of course, Tom McLaughlin brought Jason back and now we have zombie Jason. So that's kind of a what if AI was involved and didn't make that decision they would probably made a worse movie well that's my point is look at how embedded friday the 13th and jason is to our culture we're covering on spill the guts all the news about the video game and everything to this day if the wrong decision was made there because we don't know who's programming ai would that franchise have gone away before it was able to really make a lasting impression on everybody yeah because if you end with five it's probably not nearly as significant as it is once it continues, you know, you don't get zombie Jason and you can't send him to New York and he can't fight Freddy Krueger and, you know, you can't send him to space and, you know, it's all this other stuff. So you got part five to thank for all that. Everybody hates part five. It's because of part five that all that stuff happened. No, it's because everybody hated part five. Yeah. <laughs> I love part five. It's my favorite. It's only one that makes any sense. What does the mom call her crazy son there? She always calls him something. Yeah, I got that can of slop up there somewhere. His name is Junior in the... Yeah, but she always tells him, like, shut the fuck up. You big dildo. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it says on the side. Whether you're a pervert screwing your brains out on her property, cleaning the shit out of her chicken coop, or just a big dildo, you're going to want to shut the fuck up and eat her fucking (laughs) stew. And you know you can't pass it up, you fuckwad. It's one of my favorite things. Best goddamn stew in the whole wide world. Ma Hubbard's fucking flop. Hey, you fucking dildo. What the fuck is going on? Jason? I feel like I should just record something and we'll just play it every time it's my turn to talk. <laughs> so this episode comes out July 23rd, so we will be packing and ready to go to Michigan on Wednesday the 26th. We're going to head up to Michigan. We're going to hang out with Clint and his family on Wednesday. I think Thursday we're going to hit up the Peppa Pig experience. Talk about scary. And the aquarium. Scary. <laughs> Pig only has one fucking eye on the one side of his face. Then we're going to hit up the aquarium. It's in the same place. Friday, I don't know what we're doing. I know Saturday they're going to, you know, the girls are going to hit up the zoo. And uh, I think Friday we're just going to hit some local stuff, maybe Screamers. And then there was another store that you had talked about that was cool. Weirdsville Records is by there you should check out. And also uh, Crypt Keepers is 
near Screamers. I think you think you'd enjoy that store as well. That kind of stuff. We always love local. We love to find local restaurants to eat at and local places. We love to support local stuff and go places I can't go here. I think I talked to you about that when I was there the first time. I was like, what's something I can do that's a Michigan only thing? And I had the ginger ale. You know, it's more of a Michigan up north thing than we don't have that kind of ginger ale here. And it was different. It was a, a pleasant surprise on how different it was over like Seagram's or whatever the fuck you get down here that's all over the world, you know. And then Saturday, I'm going to hang out with you at the convention. If uh, if you're like, I, I'm not giving him the coordinates to where I'm at. This is already like a fucking horror movie. My table in the convention room is going to be like inside the asylum. It keeps morphing to a different location. Where's Clint? I can't find him. How do I get out of here? And then I think Sunday we're heading home. I don't know. I got to ask the boss what the plans are for Sunday. I do want to bring Finley down one day and just kind of walk her around and see who's there and see what piques her interest. You know, maybe some artwork or something like that. And I think she would have fun. She's does well with crowds and oh, okay, good. overly scared of, you know, like I wanted to put Killer Clowns from Outer Space on today. And she's like, I don't want to watch that. And then I was like, okay, I'm going to watch this. And she's like, no, put the clown movie on. Make up your damn mind. You know, like, what are we watching? No, I was going to ask you how she does with crowds because, again, Motor City Nightmares, it's it's a big little convention. So I personally, I think it's outgrown its venue, kind of tight in there. But everybody there is awesome. So, but again, kind of bringing the conversation full circle again is, hell, I don't know what everything going on it's going to be full or not all signs point to and all opinions point to that that show and all these shows are going to be okay so we'll we'll see we'll see you know why, why you guys are here i still have thomas the tank halloween on dvd i still have garfield halloween i all the i got a whole library of scooby-doo i got some stuff she can watch while she's here if she wants to hell i want to watch it i know why do you think I still have it? Thomas the Tank Halloween? That show's fucking creepy as it is. And they're mean to each other. There's, uh, speaking of local places, there's a place just north of where I live in my hometown, not far from where I grew up, called A&A Market. Just a meat market. They have the world's best steakhouse potato salad and really good dry tips. You ever had a dry tip? Mm-mm. Never had a dry tip? No, I don't know what that is. It's a big, thick, seasoned steak, and it's basically kind of cut to have three tips. Like a triangle, sort of. So I'm going to pick up a tri-tip. I'm going to pick up steakhouse uh, potato salad. You guys get here. We'll cook out in the back patio that I initially washed off for Jason when he didn't show up. We shall enjoy the spoils. So let's see. What do I got going on besides that yumminess that I just talked about? Uh, same thing as Brian. The 23rd, I'm just going to be getting ready for the back-to-back conventions, Motor City Nightmares, that will be happening July 28th, 29th, and 30th in Novi, Michigan. Check them out, MotorCityNightmares.com. If you're in the area, swing by. They're going to have Bruce Campbell. They're going to have Ted Ramey. They're going to have Sean Cunningham. They're going to have an absolute... That place is like my home, away from home. It's where I cut my teeth on conventions as a fan and a vendor. And this is their 15th year anniversary. And this is the biggest and I dare say best guest lineup I've seen them have. They've had some great ones over the years, but the, I don't know how the hell they're going to fit everybody in that they're having. It's, it's insane. So check that out. And then, of course, the weekend after that, I know everybody's probably getting sick of hearing us talk about this. I think we've talked about this the past seven episodes. After that is a flashback, and that is... August 4th, 5th, and 6th. And is that Rose, Rose Mott, Illinois? Just outside Chicago. Just outside Chicago. Great time. That one's going to be really cool because um, got we're going to be there. Justin Beam's going to be there. The Valentine Bluffs boys are going to be there. Um, I shouldn't... Uh, Brent Edgett's going to be there. Um, I think Josh Perlmutter is going to be there. 
I'm sure there's some people I'm forgetting, and I apologize. My point is, is that it's going to be kind of like just a big hangout. And I was talking with Chuck Ryan the other day, and Chuck's like, hey, we should all get together one night and have dinner. And I was like, let's do it Friday, because Brian won't be able to go. He'll be at the at the Joe Bob thing. And I was just joking. And I was like, no, because Friday goes you know later than normal. But then I was talking with Tom, the, the director of Valentine Bluffs, who's going to be at um, Flashback also. And him and I were talking about Chuck's idea. And I said, man, Tom, that's going to be a big fucking table. There's just so many of us that are going to be there. It's going to be a blast. Going to be a blast. That's what I got going on. And then maybe walking that picket line while supporting the SAG picket line. Well, let's hope that picket line doesn't happen for you. And the UPS gets its head out of wherever it's got it stuck and gives you what you deserve. The country doesn't run without UPS. I mean, that's plain and simple. I mean, that's just the way it is. It's all going to be interesting to watch this unfold for sure. These are these are very uncertain times. I, I was talking the other day to uh, Melissa. Her and I still talk. We remain friends, you know. I told her a sob story, but I told her, I said, nothing in my life right now makes any sense. Everything, everything is upside down. Hell, they had the roads tore up outside of my house the other day. I thought I had to drive through my yard to get to my house. I know it's a stupid example, but UPS strikes, SAG strikes, our convention's going to happen. Canada's on fire, smoke's rolling in again. I can't breathe outside. It's just everything is so gray right now. It's crazy. Not just for me playing my fiddle. I hope everybody listening, please still get out and support these conventions. We don't know how things are going to go. I think it's going to be safe. One thing I think is important is if we don't go support these conventions through this quote unquote tough time, they're going to go away. And these are great events, not only for vendors. Obviously, I'm not going to lie. I go there with inkmirrors.com to potentially make some money, but it's great for fans, indie artists, established actors, all these great people to network and intermingle and grow our audience. So if we don't get out and support these things, there's a good chance they're going to go away. Your small shows, your big shows, get out there and check them out. Yeah, a lot of your indie projects wouldn't happen without conventions. I mean, it's just how it is. I mean, if you you can't financially support the show because I know stuff's hard for everybody, you know, do what you can, though. I mean, tell other people. If you have friends that don't know about these shows, tell them. I mean, you would you'd be floored how many times you say, "Oh yeah, this is going on and this is going on." People are like I didn't know that. The hours people spend on social media and they still don't know stuff's going on. Well, the average time frame I think now uh, is eight point five seconds as far as attention span for the average person in the world, just because of all of the flashing lights around us all the time. But you know, well, a great segue is. I'm going to plug us. You know, a great place to find out about conventions, horror movies, all kinds of cool stuff. Stuff I have written down I haven't even told you guys about yet because if I threw it all out there at once, I can't let all the secrets out on the first date. Keep listening to the I Like a Spooky Horror podcast. Check out Spill the Guts every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. We talk about the news. Uh, we're always sharing stuff from top to bottom. I mean, I talked about AI. We talk about the Mahoning Drive-In Theater. We talk about the fact that, what was the one that you liked? The first one I did, it was... uh goosebumps you know we would cover absolutely everything the i like a spooky horror podcast has a new show out the first tuesday and thursday of every month where jason runs a show called appendages and he uh, comments on and lists off all the free horror movies that are on the crackle and Redbox apps so this is the place to go to find out what is going on yeah and you can find us on instagram youtube TikTok, Twitter, God, everywhere. We even have a link tree now. You just go to our link tree and you can find everywhere that the I Like a Spooky Horror Podcast is putting out free content for the fans. We are so everywhere that not even everywhere we are fits on the fucking link tree. 
No, I know. I was like, why isn't this all showing up? I was like moving stuff around. I was like, oh, maybe it just doesn't work that way. You planted the acorn and it, it will turn into the mighty oak. We also uh, recently were on threads now, which is Instagram's Twitter. I think it's what it's being called. So check check us out on there. Hell, I even think we got a video floating around on Rumble. I mean, we're just freaking everywhere. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye. Hey, one last thing. Again, you've heard us talk about it. We were set to interview Sylvia Kaminer, the director of Follow Her, uh, because of the strikes. That is being shelled for now. We can't wait to share that amazing interview with you. You looking for something to watch? Go to Amazon Prime, go to Voodoo, go to wherever you stream your movies and search up Follow Her. It is a smart, sexy, relevant thriller, horror thriller. Uh, all of us fell in love with it. And you know something else that you should support? Our podcast network, the PFPN. listening to the prescribed films podcast network home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment the shows on this network all have a common goal providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media the pfpn hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com thanks for listening Hey, what's wrong with you, man? Show some fucking respect for the dead, will ya?